Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Mike Hewson. Mike is an engineer and artist, but is most recently known for building risky playgrounds, and he's been getting both equal measure of pushback and praise from parents. If you're familiar with what we do at Lunch Lady, you'll know we love talking about the importance of taking risks. So discovering Mike's work was pretty exciting. Mike is interested in public art that challenges people to think differently and inspires risk-taking. Because as Mike says, embracing risk is embracing life. We're proudly partnering with Danish designed and handmade shoes Duckfeet for this podcast. They manufacture shoes the traditional way, using leather that is tanned with minimal water and chemical consumption, making it friendlier to the earth. They're super comfy and perfect for adventuring. Hi, Mike. It's lovely to have you on the Lunch Lady podcast. Oh, amazing to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm pretty excited about talking about risk because our whole ethos is about kids becoming more independent and taking risks and parents sort of backing away and letting them do that. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to have a chat. Amazing. So I thought we could just start by maybe talking. I, I did look at your TED Talk and talking a little bit about your yeah, your childhood and and how much risk you got to take and a little bit about that. Yeah, I guess I was lucky to grow up in a very small kind of country. Well, it wasn't, wasn't even a town. I was, I was in the country in our school. I think there was like 11 people on the roll when I joined. So it was extremely small. Yeah. <laughs> one, one teacher, all the ages crammed together. You know, we had a farm, a farm paddock that we were allowed to um, go out and explore and, you know, to the extent where kid even brought his, his motorbike to school one day. You know, ride the the sheep catch and ride the sheep that are in the paddock. It's quite a quite a different upbringing to what a lot of kids are um, offered, especially in the city. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I some of that does come back into the things that I'm trying to do. I mean, I'm not also trying to be a playground designer. I've, I guess my my first interest was you know public public artwork and bringing artwork to public places. And the sort of the playground thing's almost been a bit of an accident. Yeah, wow. Okay, so it was the original idea to create public artwork that people could climb and things like that and that's how it turned into a playground or how did that sort of evolve? Yeah, I mean, so my my first permanent public project was a, an artwork in Wollongong where I was invited to, you know, it was a public artwork so it didn't even need to be sculpture. And the reason I got into it was they just reconfigured the mall, um, Crown Street Mall in Wollongong. They'd sort of stripped it all out and there wasn't much left in it. So as an artist, to kind of, you know, and they wanted the artist to try and solve some of the functional issues of the mall. So I ended up, that's sort of why I ended up working into this kind of semi-sculptural format where I was bringing these sandstone boulders and these trees laid on their sides as seats to kind of break up this like really open space. And there had been a playground that was in there that was removed, sort of an 80s-style playground next to, you know, a, a brick water fountain type thing, real 80s stuff. And I thought, well, it would be cool to, like, just put in a simple thing that resembled a playground, you know, sculptural thing. So it was more of an afterthought, and I was more focused on the sculpture aspect and then less on the play. Um, but it still ended up being quite successful, and I won, like, a Playground of the Year award for that. And that really got me thinking around the sculptural potential of playgrounds or the playgrounds were potential for sculpture uh so i sort of you know arrived there by accident and i guess my more recent parks are much more focused on how it works for kids too like the sort of the the developmental needs of various age groups 
And have you sort of done like have has that led you down that kind of research path into that, or is it are you just sort of I suppose reminiscing about your freedom in your childhood and ripping off that? Oh no, I mean I think I think that's all that's all in there somewhere. You know, we we you know artists do like well you know when we're doing well we're we're dipping into our intuition and that pulls from you know that kind of subconscious pool of information and experience. Um, but I have. I spend a lot of time when I'm thinking about these parks, just, you know, observing kids in and around, you know, my life, the, you know, the, the kids that of, you know, friends, children and close family that have kids. And if, if you spend a lot of time in playgrounds and keenly interested in how kids move and want to explore, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. So I think that if you would call it research, that's what I do. Just be keenly observant to the things just around me which I think is pretty powerful. And I do try and um, bring in sort of as many sort of consultants or experts or, or people who have, I mean, actually just, just everyday people, to be honest, just who have their observations. I try and listen and, and, and store that away. What do you think, what do you think, um, what do you think's happened with playgrounds? Like why do you think we've become so risk adverse? Well, there is the complicated nature of kind of how, how you know, suing liability cases, um, and how that whole thing functions. I know, you know, one of the reasons I'm working. This is probably a little bit of a segue, but we'll, we can maybe get back there. One of the reasons I'm I'm doing projects in um, Australia or Australasia is you know, we have a different legal system to the to the US. I, I was based in New York before I got this, um, you know, doing these parks over here. But they have a completely different legal system over there. And from my understanding, their, you know, their liability cases are, are um, seen by a jury and un, uncapped in their extent. But whereas the, the legal system over here and in the UK, it is capped and, and some liability cases are seen by judges. This, this is my understanding anyway. So there is actually the one great thing about that is that uh, – there's an ability for to, to kind of look at the wider impact to society. Like, is it okay? You know, sometimes the, the, you, you might see a case for one small incident that happened, but a judge hearing it might go, well, actually, there's a net benefit to society to allow this thing, you know, say not, you know, fencing off a lake, the, the benefit to society of having access to the waterfront versus the cost of, the, you know, um, fencing everything off. I don't know if this is really making sense, but there's 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 more of an ability to look at the overall benefit to society um, over here, and so I'm noticing that there's there is an appetite for risk, and there is an appetite for providing these types of um, environments in in the public realm because it's you know it's important for the future of kids, and so it's one of the reasons I'm I'm out here because it's um it's welcomed, and yeah. the stakes aren't stacked against me. I mean, I still have to. It's not easy. Let's talk a little bit about that. Like what, what sort of reactions have surprised you and what have you kind of expected? Well, I mean, like the, the, the public artwork part does challenge people because it's not what they, you know, sometimes things aren't quite what they seem. Uh, so that there's a reaction there because, it, you know, some of the things I, I do do, I make them look to be maybe slightly precarious or not quite well constructed. And so that, you know, that gets a reaction. But generally, it just takes a, 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 a almost just over the weekend. Generally, people make a quick adjustment when they see kids interacting with these parks, and kids are really 
kids are really smart in their ability to like understand what something is. You know, if, if there's a little block or rock or something sitting up on something that doesn't look stable, if they climb up, they won't just grab it initially anyway. They would kind of like, they'll give it a bit of a nudge just to see, you know, whether it's stable. Yeah, I had a friend's kid come when I was still building this park that I've just finished in Melbourne. And one of the questions um, that she kept asking was like, is this secure? Like just like before she like got up to this next little bit, do you like turn around and ask, is this secure? And she's only like, I think two, two and a half. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those questions are really present in kids. Like they're not, they're not idiots. No. And, and they're on this path of, of um, becoming better and better risk assessors. And it's kind of, it's built in. So I guess, yeah, I guess that's one of the problems about this um, risk aversion is that carers feel like the only responsible way to be a carer is to be overly involved. And that's kind of given to them also in the way that these parks are designed because when, when parks are designed to look safe, it kind of almost says, well, things should be safe and then carers feel like they should only provide environments that are safe. But as soon as like a local government commissions a park like mine or somehow gets it across the line it's actually this kind of statement that says hey look actually risk is actually a a benefit a beneficial thing for your children and I think what I'm finding it's helping people understand is that it's actually okay to kind of give your kid a bit of room yeah let let them explore so it's actually embodying some of the values that you actually want to encourage you know like carers parents they need need encouragement that that they they shouldn't feel bad about letting their kids have an adventure yeah yeah what do you think the dangers are of I suppose thinking safe all the time well yeah we we have a need we have a need for for safety and security like that's one of the you know in the hierarchy of needs shelter or whatever but you know there's certainly I, I guess a need for adventure and I think partly that's to do with fun and that, like, you know, adventure is just generally fun. And when people recount good stories, there's often, like, some sense of, like, kind of something that was at stake or something that could have gone wrong and some something that was overcome. So I think certainly that's part of it. And that's just the complexity of life is you, you have to hold these things in balance, you know, safety and, and sort of adventure. And they have competing kind of uh, KPIs, one doesn't help the other. They kind of compete against each other, but you can kind of have them both if you're like you're smart about it. I really liked your um, quote: "Embracing risk is embracing life." Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just um, that that's the kind of conundrum, right? Like, yeah, it's it's a there's diminishing return. Like, it's it's kind of a false economy to think that doing everything safe will afford you, you know, like you. You grab onto one thing and you lose something else, and it sort of goes both ways. You know, you go too far down the risk thing, and then you end up throwing yourself into a world of loss. Um, so I think it's just one of those things that we need to try and have a bit of both. And that's the yeah. only reason I can do these, you know, seemingly crazy parks is that I go right into the detail of the safety. We, you know, we go through these things with such a fine, fine tooth comb to try and think through all the different scenarios. Um, and certainly go into the detail of the Australian standards, you know, and unpack what they mean by that. And and even within that, there's plenty of, of sort of a grey area around um, sort of interpretation on, on the fringes of some of these things. So you can you can effectively do your own risk assessment on the on a particular aspect of a of a playground where you're not quite sure how 
these pieces of equipment are going to interact or how children might circulate around a certain zone. So those are all the discussions you can a discussion you can have with you know a consultant or you know an architect or someone. And then the other thing you can do is just observe how it goes and if it becomes a problem you make you make changes. So I think one of, that's one of the problems is if I've found in my parks I'm able to be quite fluid and because I design and often build them or involve, closely involved on site in the building of them, you can allow, at least in the design phase, some uncertainty that you're going to resolve on site. Yeah. Which means that you can allow the design to be much more adventurous because you know you've got tricks up your sleeve about how you're going to fix it. Whereas a lot of designers who have to, you know, if you're a landscape architect, and I'm lucky I sort of have a, I've been able to, place myself in this sort of in-between zone where I can sort of, you know, like typically a landscape architect has to specify a set of drawings um, that is then handed to council and then council will um, put that out to tender to builders and then builders will come back and say, this is how we will build it for this price. Can we change this part? Can we change that part? And in order to keep the cost down, the, the you know, landscape architect has to keep the design relatively simple or, or maybe some of the adventurous parts that they put in that gets cut out of the design. And so a lot of the kind of, you know, like they might have had a great creative vision for the project, but the the procurement process for actually delivering it, it gets watered down in the process and the vision's not really kept alive. But the great thing about what I've been luckily able to kind of through sheer kind of force of will kind of realise is sort of embed myself into the process and kind of find all the little loopholes in the procurement rules to kind of deliver an interesting outcome that still complies with the kind of procurement due, due diligence. Due diligence, um, yeah. But it's, it seems to be, it's always these, I mean, I'm finding loopholes within this, not not loopholes in, in the playground code, but trying to understand the limits of it to try and create a more expansive outcome for children. But in the same way, I have to do that in the way that it's built and procured because you need to find more room within that so it doesn't, it doesn't end up being you know, like a lot of the playgrounds, just like something ordered off, ordered out of, out of a catalogue from Germany or, you know, maybe some other, you know, there's a few um, good Australian manufacturers, but, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to get the cost down to a minimum, you know, they mass produce these, um, you know, these sort of systems that, that bolt together and, you know, they, they're trying to create as much sort of movement and possibility, but, you know, like it's the, the cost and the need to make money and the increasing cost of materials. And um, I guess I'm in a unique situation where I'm sort of trying to, yeah, I'm really trying to innovate things. So I'm putting, you know, I'm putting a lot of myself and using a lot of my own sort of, yeah, I used to be an engineer. So I'm using a lot of my kind of innovation, understanding of materials and, and, and using waste materials and all sorts of things to try and, you know, get a really interesting outcome. What just on the council bit? What are what are have some of the barriers been of getting councils on board with your designs? I think that, you know initially they they're just too scared, and yeah. until you've proven yourself, they don't want to give you any any room, and that's sort of understandable because they're accountable to the public. And uh, I guess these project I can I can describe the product the 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 projects to them, but. They sort of, you know, if, if I described it to you, you'd say that sounds like insane and really irresponsible. But if you look at the outcome and how it functions, it's actually like this one in Melbourne. It's really blown people away. But we've really thought through every part of it. And um, 
it's a huge undertaking. Yeah. But, you know, sort of sometimes seeing is believing and I've sort of known that and that's why I've been quite patient in my career of slowly articulating more and more of that, you know, as I through each project. If you look at the earliest one, I've, I've clearly made a sense of progression as I've done each one. I've sort of proved more of my point as if you know, look at how the projects have progressed. And I, I don't hold that against councils. It's just these are weird projects and clearly people are really engaging with them, but sometimes it just takes a while to articulate that. Have you had any knocked back, any playground ideas, or have you had to sort of trim some down or have you kind of got what you pitched all the way through? Well, I think of the projects that I've done, I'm I'm 100% happy with all of them, but there's been projects that we've just um, mothballed because they're, they're, they're difficult to do and you need um, you need real buy-in from leadership within council and you need for them to go on the full journey with you and you know you, you need for them to kind of have your back really because there's always bumps in the road with these projects. And um, again... I got no hard feelings against projects that don't get off the ground because they're not easy. And um, no. I want, generally I want for them to be like a really fun thing for everyone involved. And, you know, I'm, I'm great to deal with, but I'm also difficult to deal with because I really want an interesting outcome. Yeah. And if you just want something that, you know, just a, a run of the mill thing, like I'm just, I'm not the right person for that. For um, that. Because, you know, what what I'm trying to do is, you know, articulate some more ideas, create more room for other designers to do other things because they go, oh, look what Mike did. Why can't I do that? Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. So, so yeah, it's really, it's really about the kind of commitment within council and, and, you know, really access to power really because it's this, this you know, sometimes you get in an organisation and someone at the top just goes, this is not happening and just won't go anywhere. Yeah. So I kind of look for that kind of those clues like is this – is this a thing that's going to happen? Are they really in on this one? Or, you know, is it better something that's just left left undone? And, you know, because also there's nothing wrong with a kit set playground. Some of my favorite ones are just like a simple little bunch of poles, a slide, a kind of, you know, might be, you know, only like 10 square meters of, you know, off-the-shelf equipment can be perfectly suitable. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I certainly don't argue that the kind of parks that – I'm doing the only thing that should be like kids. I mean, kids are love a mud puddle. So yeah, I'm under no illusion that like I'm doing something that's like needs to be everywhere. And what about like designing with all ages in mind? Like how, how do you sort of grapple with that? Uh, I, I mean, one thing I do is like, as I, as I calibrate the designs with kids just around the opening time. So, uh, I mean, I try and provide, if you look at all of the parks I've done, they're kind of like all open climbing structures with no handrails or um, platforms. Yeah. Which means they're all effectively open climbing structures of varying heights and varying abilities. Um, so I've basically found that I intuitively try and find a, a real wide variety of shapes and sizes and handle spacings. And then you just kind of put it all together and then you really just have to watch how kids interact with it. And occasionally they'll just add an extra handhold here or there or, you know, add a rope somewhere. And that final calibration actually extends how that playground functions, you know, quite significantly. Just even adding one extra little hoop, you know, a little tiny leg that can, you know, 
only jump up, you know, sort of 15 centimetres. Yeah. You know, that might access a whole nother section of the park for a, a, a big, you know, like the, the big slide in the in the city of Melbourne project. You know, I had a, a friend's kid who, had to come, who came and just, you know, couldn't quite get a foot up. And I decided with the auditor that, that we should just add a tiny little extra hoop. And then basically, you know, the majority of children, you know, two and up can access this quite high slide. But then, you know, you, you build it in so it's sufficiently difficult for someone who doesn't have enough upper body strength that they're not going to accidentally find themselves on this really high object that is then, you know, unsafe for them. Unsafe, yeah. And, it, and this, is all, this is all wound into the code. Like they have, they have these different rules about ability levels and at what point are you enabling in an unsafe way a, a small child from accessing something that's well beyond their abilities once they get up there? Yeah, I think that's what I find interesting in a lot of the research I suppose we've covered is if you allow children to uh, mitigate their own risks and figure it out for themselves that they would take less risks as teenagers. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. I, love, I love that idea that um, you, you, you're allowing children to take risks but you're also not allowing people who might not be ready to take those risks. Yeah, and you often you often find, I mean, Look, I'm still learning too, and I and I, you know, I go and visit these parks just to observe how kids end up using them. I mean, what that was one of the, I think I can't remember what is the, there's a there's a little PDF that a UK based um, play person you've probably come across it, a great little PDF. But in that there's a kind of anecdote around that same thing of, you know, anxiety and, you know, like the sort of emergence of you know, a huge number of anxiety conditions in quite young kids and that being linked to, you know, just not experiencing kind of, you know, that feeling of fear and being out of, just like, you know, when, when fear is a completely unfamiliar emotion and it just arrives on you as a, as a teenager, you've, you've not got as many tools to deal with that. But if you've been encouraged to sort of experience that feeling of fear, that little, that little um, injection of um, adrenaline, and then knowing how to manage that kind of even emotionally, I think like that's why it's I think it's important important for kids to have these you know these experiences and encourage you know so they can navigate these like kind of emotional things that arrive later on. Um, and so I sort of see it's actually a really responsible thing that we're doing, trying to like deliver projects that kind of have this like narrative that encourages parents that yeah it's okay for your kid to have adventures, and also it tells kids that it's okay to have adventures. And you know it's that endorsement at that like local government level that yeah this is this is for you we're providing an important kind of piece of infrastructure for that kind of you know developmental need so that you can be you know well adjusted and you you know you you will be resilient in life or at least not you know give you as many opportunities to kind of develop resilience um and surely that resilience piece is maybe that's why everyone's listening obviously with climate change and the need for us to adapt and yeah we talk a lot about resilience and building optimism and resilience in kids so this makes a lot of sense that do you think that's why people are a little bit more open to talking about building kids up in this way yeah I guess they just you just you just look at the world and it's not a it's not a simple place it's a complex place and it's it's changeable and it it the kind of thinking that's going to be required to navigate, you know, the coming decades is this kind of like quite nimble thinking where we have to be able to think on our feet quickly. 
we're going to be thrown into environments that are unfamiliar and we're going to need to be adaptable. And I think the kind of thing where things are really designed and programmatic and predictable, it's just not a, it's not a realistic way of understanding the world. You know, these kind of complex, strange places that I'm making in these sort of playgrounds, they are, unfortunately, they do have to be incredibly designed and planned out because I just, you can't get them across the line otherwise, you know. The mm. floor has to be soft. It yeah. has to comply to all these, you know. Um, but that's just the, that's just really the absolute con- confines of the, the thing that I'm working in. But I'm trying to do as much as I can within that format to kind of give as much of that adventure or that idea of adventure that makes kids feel excited about life and excited that parents and, you know, that adults want them to kind of explore in life. And that's just a really great thing to, to give to kids, I think. And what do you reckon about adults? Like um, we're sort of big on learning and curiosity and trying new things. Like do you think adults need to take more risks in physical settings rather than sort of careers? And Yeah, absolutely. I mean that's just the, that's just the nature of, um, you know, our minds and, you know, any sort of complex movement or learning a language or anything that's learning increases our, like, cognitive function and in turn our resilience and they're all kind of interconnected um so yeah the more we're engaged with unfamiliar environments it's it's very good for us um and i sort of see that that you know some of the things that i'm doing in these parks are helping that because you know adults are more involved i get (laughs) quite a few funny videos of people just like adults climbing over and sort of you know almost like really bad parkour kind of but it's but it's still like they're mo- they're moving their bodies in space in ways that they probably wouldn't otherwise do, and and having fun with it. So yeah, I think that's great. You know, I get okay. all ages send me photos and videos of you know them interacting with the park and just hanging out there. That's great. I mean, it's also it's become like almost intergenerational in a way because sometimes like a bunch of old people just hang out. They don't have kids, but they just sit on swing, have a little wander around, sit in the seat. You know, this sort of, this kind of collapsing of different age groups because the place doesn't have this, like, clear language of playground. Like, I can't be in a playground because I don't have a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's a real clear thing in playgrounds. It's like, oh, if, you, if you're not there with a kid, you can't be there. And so I've found in these parks, there's teenagers hanging out, there's older people. They just treat it like a park and a place to be. Yeah. Um, you still try and design it in a way that it's, you know, as many good sight lines as possible, you know, there's all sorts of sort of design things you, you weave into it, but you're not trying to be driven by that. Like you want to start with a really, you know, like there's that phrase safety, 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 safety in design. Or what was it like safety in design assessment where you kind of try and design something from safety first standpoint. But the problem is there is like that's not the way to make something interesting. I almost think it's like, you know, it's like you should do a dullness matrix before you do a safety matrix, you know, a risk <laughs> assessment. Because they're kind of competing things and, uh, you know, you've got to try and do both. But you need to – both of them are super important in terms of, like, coming to interesting outcomes. And it's more likely that when you're trying to reduce dullness, you're going to come up with innovation. Um, or at least that would be a good source of innovation. And also moving towards safety, you're probably going to innovate. But only one way doesn't strike me as the most efficient way because sometimes it, it shuts down thinking because you you feel like you've got you've got less possibility. I love that, and I, I suppose that leads me to I have so many questions, but um, 
one of my last ones is how how do you think a lack of risk reduces creativity? Oh, well, yeah, you just feel suffocated. I mean, that's, that's, well, it's, I guess I would qualify that and say that, you know, artists love, love parameters and we love kind of being restrained to some extent, like, you know, some artists will just choose, I'm only going to work with the color red or, you know, I'm only exclusively going to work with dogs in the next project or something like they put parameters around them to kind of um, direct their creativity. However, at the same time, if you feel you've got access to nothing, it really does suffocate your kind of thinking. So um, in the parks that I'm doing, like, yeah, there's actually pretty big parameters, you know, around Australian standards and just the materials you can work with and stuff. But within that, I, I definitely try and not think about the kind of those parameters as much at the start, try and go far in the, I guess, on the, the dullness assessment, how how wild can you make something before I start bringing those um, constraints in? So I think if, yeah, if people feel like they've got no room to move, it really just, they just shut down. And mm. I think, yeah, we've all gone through, you know, amounts of that, you know, around the, you know, the period of COVID when now, you know, there was a lot of restraint put around how we could move. But then a lot of people within that did find room. Yeah. So there's always that balance and that back and forth when, you feel constrained. If you've got the right attitude, you can still find room within that. So I guess yeah. maybe to some extent there's a there's sort of an attitude thing there. And also that whole thing about boredom and, you know, boredom sort of allows us, I think we have this quote, we kind of keep circulating boredom, you know, makes you go and seek new lands and be imaginative and so, yeah. Mm, can do. <laughs> can do, yeah. Or you can just like get really grumpy on the couch or something. <laughs> really and just lastly, like what risks are you taking in life? Uh, well, I think this whole thing that I'm doing is a pretty big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I studied engineering. I worked in some um, reasonably well-paid jobs in my early 20s and then I just felt like that wasn't an, the best fit for me in terms of what I could contribute to the world. Um, I didn't quite know what I might be able to do, but I suspected it would, you know, I love the art. So I, you know, quit my job and borrowed a bunch of money, took myself to art school and, you know, and then I've gone in the process of like, you know, doing these parks and each one's pretty difficult to get off the ground. So I feel like, you know, a lot of them I've poured a bunch of my own resources into finishing because they're quite expensive to make and complex and, and, you know, um, uh, yeah, I've taken a lot of, I guess, financial risk, basically betting on myself, you know, not really saved anything, but I've yeah. bought everything into like making these like bold design statements and also assuming like um, presumptuously that that would be a huge success and that that would afford me more room to kind of hopefully, you know, eventually build a career out of it. Um, and is that working? I feel like it's heading. Yeah, I feel like honestly, like in the last couple of months, it's just the, the 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 sentiment around the parks and the things that I've built are being received. Like, yeah, I suddenly feel like I've got like a people are really responding, but it's felt like I've just had to push it through through sheer yeah force of will and and, and sort of brute force really, like just yeah, kind of no, it's like calculated recklessness, you know. Like I don't think just you got to there's a yeah I say that something my TED talk was like there's nothing endearing about like recklessness or negligence yeah but to some extent you do need to have some sort of abandon if 
you know, there's no clear path to getting to where I am now. There wasn't a clear path, but I just sort of followed my nose in this general direction, hoping and suspecting that it was the right thing. I guess that's the biggest risk that I've taken. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, we'll see, we'll see where it goes from, from, from here. But yeah, I feel very, I feel very, you know, like fortunate and, you know, all the encouragement that I've got, you know, especially in the last couple of weeks, just with the extremely enthusiastic reception of the community. I mean, this, you know, I'm still some, um, uncertainty and well, not uncertainty, but there's still some processing going on. Um, yeah. you know, I'm having a meeting with the community tomorrow night with the Lord Mayor, um, around this um, South Bank project because there's still a lot to be understood. Um, trying to unpack <laughs> what the heck's just arrived in South Bank. Yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 um, it seems to be just a, just a wild success from, from all of the sort of messages that I'm getting. And, you know, parents really feel, um, or carers, um, feel like this is a real triumph. You know, it's a real victory for, for us. You know, it's not like, it's not like my good park. It's like our good outcome. Yeah. And so I think that that's also quite a nice thing is that people feel like it's a it's a group victory because it's something that we've all birthed in a way because we want it. And yeah. then I've just sort of how somehow like, you know, articulated some of those things and people are like, Yeah, this is this is us. I mean, with that in mind, how how can we sort of approach what's the best way to approach our our local councils to try and get something like this made or Yeah, I guess like I mean just general enthusiasm. It seems like councils do. I mean, we've been working quite closely with the City of Melbourne on that project, and they really do listen to what the community um, inputs. Like it's, you know, and I do see that you know I've worked with various councils on these, and they certainly receive what the what the public says. But I think it's it's one of the things that's difficult about these things is is how do you commission them? How do you commission these like slightly interesting parts because the procurement process is typically used to deliver them uh they don't make it easy to deliver them in this way yes um and so i guess councils just need to be encouraged to kind of embrace risk in themselves and try and make these things happen i mean i'm not the only person doing these kinds of parks Mm. but it's council's reluctance to get involved in the in the mess of and the uncertainty of you know what might arrive you know if you really want certainty yeah, get something out of a German catalogue for sure. Just yeah. <laughs> drop it in there. But you got to put skin in the game. That's what I do. Like I, I, I put all of myself in there. Yeah. You know, I, you know, insurance bills, incredibly high for the kind of works that I do as designer and builders. Incredibly complex thing for me to navigate. But I believe in it and I don't mind getting stuck in the grime of trying to deliver these things, you know, and then all the community outrage and stuff like typically a company wouldn't want to be associated with a project that you know is like you know the reviewers like if you want to bring your kid make sure they're wearing a helmet you know that's not <laughs> typically that's something that an Australian company is going to want to get involved with but I don't mind getting in that because I, I sort of believe in the kind of the net outcome for a community um, so and councils awesome. also need to be encouraged to take those risks kind of you know get get in the trenches you know like get in there with in the get in the, in the mud and yeah. um, that's the only way that will happen. But it will totally happen. I mean, the the response to this last to this last park is sort of really galvanised a kind of a net response of like, yes, we like this. Can we see more of it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I sort of hope that it'll slowly keep. I mean, when councils keep getting sent photos of these parks, they're just going to go, all right, okay, 
and then they'll maybe listen but it's like they do really respond to community pressure yeah for sure that's good advice uh, and, and look let's, let's be careful not all everyone in the community likes the kind of parks i'm doing but there's a place for everything there's like in place like you say like I, I was saying before about like tiny little pocket kit set parks fantastic completely appropriate in certain settings and completely good use of you know um resource yeah but there's also a need for this other kind of thing which you know needn't be expensive i'm hoping to work on a a, a sort of a a series of much more kind of off the shelf offerings that offer a similar kind of thing for a much smaller it just i guess it just it takes a desire from the community and that seems like it's slowly changing slowly changing well thank you so much mike it's been such a pleasure to chat to you um really great great to chat about these things this potty is proudly sponsored by duck feet duck feet are danish designed and handmade shoes and the reason i'm such a fan of duck feet is because they manufacture shoes the traditional way using leather that is tanned with minimal water and chemical consumption making it friendlier to the earth they're also super comfy for more info head to duckfeet.com.au If you liked this conversation, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really liked it, be a legend and leave us a good review. Lunch Lady is a magazine where parenting is not taken too seriously, but a balanced approach to family life is. It's a beautifully printed kitchen keepsake full of recipes, inspiring family stories, DIY craft and funny, relatable opinion pieces about the ups and downs of raising kids. For more info on Lunch Lady magazine, head to shop.hellolunchlady.com.au.